What's up, listeners, and welcome back to Shattering Superstructure. On this episode, we have the great Don Lake, character actor, comedian, and Second City improv legend. We discuss his career, some of his most recent guest spots, including the upcoming TED series with Seth MacFarlane, which is going to be outstanding I love that universe, love the first two uh, films, and it's going to be great to see it in a series format. And we talk about the nature of streaming and how vast it's become uh, and the effect that that might have on certain TV shows and what we now call content. Uh, We used to call it art, now it's content, uh, for better or for worse. Don's a, uh, a friend of mine. I'm, I'm friends with uh, his son, Taylor, and uh, he's just an all-around great guy and salt of the earth. And this is one of my favorite uh, conversations I think I've, I've ever had uh, with a member of the entertainment industry. So I hope you enjoy, and without further ado, here's the episode. Hey, Alex. There he is. How's it going, Don? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You got a good wall happening there. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, this is some of my wall art. Got the Royal Tenenbaums, Logan, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, those are great. Look at your wall and then look at me. We're the exact opposite. <laughs> I, I'm, in, I'm in an institution at the moment. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can't let you bring artwork in there. Right. Bad. Or like I'm, or I'm in, a, in a place that I've got to get out of quick as soon as the phone rings. Leave. Just right. get out. <laughs> well, at least you got a wall to, to work on there. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've nearly run out of wall space. Uh, oh, it's good. It looks good. Yeah. And then, of course, you got you front and center on the TV. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great. Yeah, found, great. Found a nice little image to pause on. Space yeah, one of my favorite. Uh, oh, bless your heart! <laughs> it's nice seeing that picture of Ben. He's so great. They were such a great group. Yeah, yeah. They. It really is. It's um, talk about a hell of a cast and just amazing writing, amazing directing, and what a what a fun idea too I yeah mean, i wish i had come up with it or it's one of those ideas you know yeah brilliant yeah um, it's, it's a weird it's a weird thing and then you look at it, it's like and it's like yeah just live two live two years two seasons and that's it you know and you go I, man i know i don't i don't really understand why it seems like a trend netflix to end after two seasons, like really good shows, like the OA, like they just pulled a plug on that, right? When it yeah. was like in its prime. Yeah. And I, I think maybe some of it has to do with they're scaling back on like bigger budget project, bigger right. budget projects and right. trying to do like smaller to medium size budget, I guess. So I don't know, budget allocation. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I know that that show, I know Space Force was expensive. I, they, you know, they threw a lot of money. They almost gave them a blank check the first season, which wow. you know, it, maybe you didn't need, but it was just like, just when we kind of circled the wagons in the second season, you know, and it's like, okay, this is what it's about. This is, this is the camaraderie and the, all that stuff. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's, it's a weird world that we live in now, right. In the entertainment business, it's like oh, that, yeah. that word algorithms again, right. Yeah. Like, well, you didn't meet your algorithms and it's not an emotional cut. It's just a, sorry, didn't meet the algorithm numbers. And it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not TV or, or film anymore. It's like content. Uh, right. It's like, well, if you look at it as content, that's, it's an interesting way to view art. Uh, yeah, true. Very true. Very <laughs> true. So, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go for it. How's Claire? How's the rest oh. of the family, Taylor and everyone? Oh, everyone's super. Everyone's great. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah, um, Taylor have, has, and his wife, Quincy, have uh, two granddaughters, two daughters. So we yeah. have, uh, we have grandkids, right? Right. So, yeah, so it's fantastic. I mean, that's what we were doing this morning, almost in 20 minutes until you called. And it's like, that's what I was doing is just playing with, with the oldest one. And uh, I was saying, my wife was going, did you get tired? And I said, no, you know what? It's like an improv. It's like, it's like a few hours of improv with her because kids just live in their imagination. Right. Right. And so you literally don't need anything. And we were all over the map today. I mean, we went to the zoo, we were pretending what a day like was going to school. And then she was picking me up because she was my mom and all these, all the things, what are you going to wear to school? And it's, it's just, it's so fun. Um, and so I love it. And you just love watching their little minds work. They're so, they're so open and free and connected in the moment, right? Like I see her making up songs and I know that it's literally whatever her eye is landing on and she incorporates it. And it's, and she's a character anyway. She's really funny. She's uh, really funny. So it's, it's a treat. That's, so uh, That's so cool. Congra congratulations to my parents or grandparents and they feel the exact same way. They absolutely love it. They can't stop visiting my, my sister in Texas. Like, that's great. First time I was an uncle was 19. And wow. I mean, my oldest niece is uh, 15. Wow. So in the next like 10, 15 years, I could be a great uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could actually. You could. But yeah. it is, it's, it really is. I, you know, they, you would hear things like, oh, you're going to love being a grandparent. And it's like, I kind of figured I would. And uh, it hasn't let me down. It's been even more than I imagined. It's tremendous. It's great. And you're still living in uh, Calabasas? Yeah. Yeah. We kind of split our time between Calabasas and Carpentria. So uh, that's where I am now is in Carpentria. So it's, um, it's, you know, it's beautiful here. But uh, we can be closer to Quincy and Taylor and, and the girls. So that's why we, we spend a lot. And Carpentria is like this little... 1960s beach southern california beach town that never changed you know have you ever been there i've never heard of it no. oh it's 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 about 20 minutes south of santa barbara wow and okay. yeah so uh i highly recommend it if you ever want to you know drive out of the city and, and come here and it's a, a beautiful little quaint main street uh it and honest to god it's like out of the 1960s and it's uh, got candy stores and uh, these great little shops uh great little restaurants 
it's it's really a treat. We love we've always loved it here, and so it's funny to to kind of be back because um, it's it's very it's very special, and we're like six minute walk from the beach. So, and then when it gets you know when it's 107 in Calabasas, right? It's like 74 here. I mean, it rarely it, once in a while it'll creep into the low 80s once in a while. So it's nice. You get that nice sea breeze. Oh, big time, big time. Yeah, weather's the hot, the hot spots coming in. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that kind of reminds me of like if Healdsburg were a beach town or something like that, because there's a lot of kind of those little towns in in uh, Sonoma and Napa that seem to have those like little candy stores. Yeah, like frozen in time. So exactly, and they want, and it's wild too because they want to keep it that way, right? Yes. They don't want you, don't spread the word, don't tell anyone it's nice here, just quiet. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And then it's so weird when you when you drive into work, it's so weird because it's only an hour from, you know, uh, from Calabasas. And so, like, say another hour and a half if, if you go into work and that. But it's just like, wow, I was just here and now I'm just here. It freaks, it freaks your mind out a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. You know? I can yeah. relate to that. Um, going back and forth between like San Francisco, San Mateo and the wine country where my brother lives. It's like, yeah, oh. three different worlds. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But oh. look at how is your podcast doing? How's it going? It's going well. I, I've had some some really uh, great guests. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate to, you know, uh, have made some good relationships with uh, yeah. some some you know, PR friends. So it, it's, oh, it's awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I think my most, some of my most recent guests were Freddie Prince Jr. and Zach Braff and uh, uh, Mary Heron, the, the director of American Psycho. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's been fascinating to have somewhat longer conversations um, with these brilliant artists and uh yeah well you really you really did it the right way didn't you i mean you really cultivated kind of a, a nice little family of people that you went out to right family's right. not the right word but you cultivated all your sources and yes. it and, and you know you've grown and now you can incorporate them in and new people and it, it's uh, that's great that's tremendous because wow it's quite a it's quite a field of podcasts out there isn't it Oh, it is. It's like the the Wild West. There's so many. Right. Um, but I feel like it's either at the time or, you know, slightly after the time when like blogs were just starting or had, had right. been out for a while and they're starting to like boom and, you know, podcasts are kind of like the new blogs. Uh, right. Sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I remember uh, staying at your house in, in Calabasas with the boys. That was uh, yeah. that was a, a memorable trip. So much fun. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. So, so gracious uh, that, that you hosted all of us. I know that couldn't oh, sure. be easy for a, for a handful. <laughs> we were all no, that's, that's... on our best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. I love stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I love your energy, your youthfulness rubs off on us. It's like, you know, we, we steal some of it. It's like, we, it's like we get to charge the batteries, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. It's, 
I, I remember, you know, the, the dinner uh, was amazing. I remember the backyard. I loved the backyard. Um, it was so beautifully landscaped and it had a lot of character and the place we stayed at, I guess you would call it what an in-law unit or just right. like a back area. Right. Um, which I, I could imagine was a fun place for like Taylor to hang out growing up. Oh, fantastic. Are you kidding? Fantastic. It was a, I loved hanging out there. Yeah. I'd, I'd go up there, you know, with a beer and watch the hockey game. And it was like, ah, you just kick back. Yeah. Cause it was like a it was like a little cottage, you know? Right. Um, and so you really felt like you were really just off somewhere. And that's, that's what we loved about it. And Claire, Claire designed the whole thing. It was all her vision and stuff and it was just beautiful. And, but yeah, we loved that. That was a good spot because that was a really good spot. Oh yeah. That's, that's amazing that, that she designed it. Yeah. It's like a moment of respite just to, yep. yeah. Yep. And you <laughs> could have the TV as loud as you want. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. 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 No kidding. Uh, and what a cool, it, it was a cool neighborhood to, it's kind of the first time I've seen like, oh, there's besides a wine country, like there's horses down the street in a residential neighborhood. Like this is kind right. of anomaly. <laughs> and, and, you know, I love the sound of the horses hooves on the, on the pavement kind of when they go up the street. I love yeah. that sound, the clip cloppity stuff. Oh, I love it. And oh, uh, some of the horses are so beautiful, but I, re I it reminded me a lot of Canada, mm. you know, there was a rustic feel to it, yet look where we were. We were, you know, 40 minutes from downtown LA. Right. Yet you got up there and you just escaped. And over the years, it's been, you know, a place for baseball players and football players and, you know, uh, uh, actors and, st and stuff like that. It's just, it's just once you drive through the gate, it's just everything disappears. And yeah. that's, that's what I love. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it was, I remember one time we were, we were leaving and to go somewhere and there were just these two horses walking down the street and it was like okay this is weird you know some people they don't close the gate and the dog gets out right right <laughs> where, where 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 we are it's like you don't close the gate and the horses get out and so, so it's like what, what are we going to do bring this home bring this this beautiful horse home and right. we had knocked down the stables to uh put up the guest house right mm -hmm. so uh because it, because originally when we got a place it had it had uh these stables with it, which were kind of funky, cool, you know, and I always scared the people owning in. They said, are oh, you going to raise horses? Right. And I said, no, I'm going to raise donkeys. What? <laughs> and man, they, they didn't like that. But of course I was just kidding, but I didn't tell them, no, we're going to level the stable and put up a guest house. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. But yeah. that's what we see. See kind of what we did. That was our plan. Um, and then we, we built the house, guest house. And when the guest house was done, then as a family, we moved into that. And then we built the house. And so we, st we stayed for like 14 months in the guest house, all of us. Oh, wow. And that, that to me was like the Apollo, uh, it felt like, like an Apollo space mission because the guest house was to me was like the lamb. So we were all, you know, we were all in that tiny module. It's just, remember, everything's got to go back where you put it. You can't leave things hanging out. But it was such a great time because we were all together and so close, right? Right, right. So it was a, it was a really, it was a really great time in our family history, I think. Um, and then it all worked out and things usually don't, but it all worked out that, okay, house is done. We can move into the house. And then the guest house became this, like we say, this little world onto its own. I love that. That's, that sounds uh, idyllic and, and fun, like yeah. an extended sleepover with, with friends, except you're, 
with your family. Yeah. yeah. It really is a luxury to have it because you don't worry about if somebody's coming into town, it's like, yeah, sure, just go there. You know, yeah, just go yeah. there. We won't even know you're there. It's fine. You know. My, totally. My parents are doing the same thing with their yeah. garage turning it into an ADU unit. And so that's great. They're just whenever anyone visits from across, we're all all of our siblings are scattered across the country. So yeah. if anyone says, "Hey, I'm visiting," and yeah, they've got yeah. something to to anchor. Yeah, so, makes it easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw uh, Ghosts. I, I, I've been watching it actually since the first season, and I saw your guest episode. That that's that's. Uh, it was really funny, and you were obviously typically great in it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, I've not I have not seen the BBC show, but um, I do like the American show. Um, so, I mean, what was it like, sort of uh, coming on there for for a guest spot? You know, Rose um, and Utkarsh seem like they are really funny people in real life not just actors so i yeah. think that was a fun set a really nice set a really really nice set um he's been so lucky to have jobs like that um yeah they're all so nice and so generous and so they're really talented too the writing on that show is really good yeah uh, it's quite imaginative you know because they've got this great uh device and you i really love how they paste it out and slow, like they kind of, you know, I'm not going to say what they did, but it's like just that first year was like everybody fell in love with it. And then I love how in the second year they kind of, okay, let's peel the onion a bit now. Let's start playing, dealing with flashbacks and things like that. And it's really tremendous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know every week when I kind of see what the rundown is for another, another episode, I just kind of go, wow, okay, that's clever. Yeah. You guys are really and people people love the show but i everyone's so likable and the characters are also strong so strong and well yeah. and, and so different right so definite so different from each other yeah right being ghosts from different times and uh they're all they're all they were all very very open and happy to, for me to be there and i was so happy to be there too and now of course i can't remember who um my wife was in that and that's terrible because she's second city Oh, oh, that's <laughs> horrifying. Um, I'm blanking on it too, but that's oh man. Me, a Tina. Uh, no, I was gonna say Tina Faye. <laughs> Tina Faye. Uh, Megan. Megan. Uh, maybe it's Megan Faye. Man, huh. this is what it's like having an interview with an older guy now, right? Yeah. Who was that? Uh, Who was that? She was so nice. No, anyway, she was a she's a legend in Second City, and we never had a chance in all these years to work with Megan Faye. Megan Faye. Okay, Megan Faye, yeah. Um, we never had a chance to work together, so we got to be husband and wife in this, so that was another treat. And they shoot it in Montreal. Oh, nice. Back to I know, I know. So that's that's weird, too. Great for them, because that's a great city to shoot in. And uh, and they started their season early, um, I guess, to avoid the cold winters. You know what I mean? They wanted to be done before the winter hit. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they, they did it right, and I wish them all the best. They'll be doing that for a while, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. And it's like, speaking of Canada, it's, they're killing it right now. It seems like so many shows are shot there. Yeah. First thing that comes to mind is The Boys on Amazon Prime, which is like 
you know, one of the biggest hits, I think, um, in the last, yeah. you know, five, 10 years yeah. um, in terms of that genre. Yeah. To really turn that genre on its head. But yeah, yeah so many other projects in, in Canada and um they can it's pretty of, wild. It's it's pretty yeah. wild that they have to they they that they do that. I know the exchange rate's great and I'm sure they're given a ton of incentives from the government to shoot there. Yeah. But uh, I think Toronto's all booked up and Vancouver's certainly booked up, but people are shooting in places like, uh, you know, well, Calgary has been for a while, but it's getting real, like in, in Ontario, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's like these small cities, like, I don't know, three hours north of Toronto, like Thunder Bay and places like that, that they're shooting in. And yeah. you're just going, you're kidding me. <laughs> you're kidding me. Everybody's got to be flown in for that. I can't imagine you couldn't put a crew together in Thunder Bay you know, sure. maybe if you're going on a hunting excursion, you could, but not to shoot, not to shoot something. But yeah, that there's, there's, um, it's quite a time because there's so much production being shot yeah. all, over, all over the place. Uh, but it's rare that you work in LA very often. I mean, my last two jobs have been in here, but usually you're flying off somewhere. Um, so it's interesting, interesting time. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the sort of uh, versatility of the geography and the climate of Canada makes it so like you could make it seem like almost anywhere in the world. That's anywhere. Or I think the combination yeah. of that and what you're saying. Yeah. Um, from the financial benefits, it's yeah, kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so you said you, you, you shot two projects recently in Los Angeles was one of those um, Gina Rodriguez's. Uh, yeah. Uh, not dead yet yeah okay yeah yeah so that, that you were another guest star on that and um yeah it's like uh is this kind of like a day thing when you guest star on on shows like you, you're in and you're out in a day or do you get an opportunity to bond with the cast and crew or is a little bit of both you know usually it's uh usually it'd be like a few days right uh even if it's like the, the thing i love about a single camera show is that you could have three or four scenes in the show have a really nice part but obviously for production wise they will try to schedule all those shows if they can it's based on location all those scenes in on the same day or one or two days sometimes you'll be on on a, on on something a, a, you know an episodic show for three days sometimes four like i did a thing before christmas it hasn't aired yet um, it was actually last fall we did it, uh, and it was a, a thrill for me uh, to do uh, Ted, the the new series that Seth MacFarlane's doing. No way. Yeah, oh. and it's going to be out on pageant, not pe uh, Peacock, um, uh, this summer, I believe. I think it's June or July. I'm not quite sure, but we did this last fall, right? And uh, it was a guest spot, but I was there several days, and it was so much fun for me. I'm such a fan of him. He's so, he's just so, so tremendous. And uh, it, it was a great part. I got to sing. It was this just a real loser of a guy uh, who dreamt of being big on Broadway. And he's just the security guard. And, uh -huh. and it was so fun. And the, the first day I got there, of course, you know, it's Seth MacFarlane, who I'm such a fan of, yeah. such a fan of his work. And, uh, and so we ran it a few times. And, you know, he stands, he directs them, right? And then, of course, he's the voice of Ted. So he's, he's, he's not, you, you do the scene, they have an elaborate, elaborate ways they do it, 
which are kind of simple yet elaborate, um, if that make, can make sense. But, you know, you have like the Ted doll that'll be right. there, but who you'll look at and stuff. And then uh, Seth will be off to the side and he's got like four monitors he's looking at of his four shots. He's got the microphone so he can be Ted and he's acting away, you know, and he's looking at the four screens while he's doing the take. And it's, it's just really, it's, it's, I mean, you know, I took my hat to him. It's, it's very cool. And the scripts were really, the script was really funny. Uh, so I had a ride and he, you know, when I got there, he said, Don, um, we'll, we'll do it again. It was, it was all fun. And he said, uh, just so you know, this is not an Aaron Sorkin script. So I'm, I'm familiar with your resume. Let's, you know, that's all I'm going to say. And I just went, oh, I'm dreaming this. And he laughed. And then from that point on, honestly, it was just a love affair because we were improvising and the other cast members were so great. And of course they were, the, you know, the regulars were, were, were great at improvising too. So we all had, it was just so much fun for me, so much fun. And that was a thing where after the three or four days, the crew really did, you know, the crew was, you know, saying nicknames for you and stuff like that. I, it was one of the best. I said at the end of that week, I said, if I don't do anything else, that's fine. That's why I can end on that. I'll end on that. I'll punch my card down. Yeah, I'll end yeah. on Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. yeah, end on that and the kind of the improvising with him and having fun and making him laugh and him, you know, just driving me to the brink of cracking, you know, <laughs> and seeing the gleam in his eye when you almost get one on him. It was so fun. Um, and uh, and the cast were great too. A young cast who were so talented. I didn't meet them all, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. But that's you know that's the weird thing too of of streaming now as well. You, I mean, it's kind of like everything's a movie where you'd shoot a movie and then a year later it would come out. Yeah. You know, that's the way streaming is. It's like with all these shows, you do it and then you know it's a year. You know they got to finish. They got to edit them all. Production wise, they got to finish them all up, and then they've got to do all the languages, and it all takes almost a year before it comes out yeah uh, so it's 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 kind of it's it's wild you don't get that feedback kind of from uh, not like regular broadcast tv like ghosts or something where you do it three weeks later it airs mm -hmm. you know and also too on on net, not dead yet uh gina rodriguez is fantastic yeah she's she, she really is she mm -hmm. really is not only a lovely person but super talented and so nice and so fun to work with. And, and uh, yeah, she's, she's great. She's great. Yeah. And, and versatility too. She's, she's a just uh, do comedy, you know, she's done a lot of great drama. I'm thinking like annihilation. Yeah. Starlin movie. She was just kind of heartbreaking in that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so many, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, she's like, she's just so honest. You know, and so genuine. Yeah. Um, as a, as an actress too, so real and believable. But wow, I was so impressed. It was effortless to do scenes with her, just effortless. But yeah, so that was uh, that was uh, uh, you know an LA job, and then uh, Seth was too. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, you might get called up from the bullpen to voice some Family Guy characters. You never know. After. Yeah working with Seth he likes I hope it. so I mean we had a nice on the final day at the final shot I said you know thank you so much this was just this was a dream like for me and he said oh this is not the end there'll be more awesome. like, oh awesome. okay yeah it was a good way to leave it too so we'll see I mean you never you know <laughs> you don't think about it you just go you do a really good job and you hope they'll you'll be back or whatever and so we'll see yeah and you mentioned like you know I mean you 
uh, Gina Rodriguez, Seth MacFarlane. I think so many comedic actors are so good at drama. I'm wondering why that is. And there's even a further connection of like uh, people who started in, in improv who are now like these really revered dramatic actors um, like Paul Bodenkirk and, and, and so many people who, who switch, you know, kind mm -hmm. of, to the prestige drama and do it mm -hmm. so well. Why do you think that is? What about improv and perhaps maybe stand-up comedy gives well, I think, that, that I, I think it's, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I, should, I shouldn't have started. I should let you finish, I apologize. No I just, when you mentioned like the difference between stand-up and, and the improv, I think the thing with stand-up is that it just forces you to be in the moment. You know what I mean? So when it does come to a drama, like actually that's what I loved about the, uh, the Ted part was like, there was actually a part where I was very, very sad in that, you know, emotionally sad. And I couldn't, I, you just, you want to do it again and again and again and again. It, it's just so fun to play that emotion. A lot of times, you know, you don't get a character that's got all that stuff to play. And so when you do, and it's just, it's just, again, being like genuine and real. And like I say, in the moment, because you just, you know, you try to listen to those words you're saying. And, and I always find the best thing to do is nothing, believe it or not, in those genuine moments. Just be be just genuine. Be honest. Uh, it's all there. It's there in the words. It's and you know, do little. And that's coming from a guy who started mugging his, you know, mugging everything. I was like bigger than <laughs> bigger than a cartoon. And just slowly over the years, you just keep pulling back, pulling back, pulling back. And I guess for me, it always felt like, oh, I'm not earning my money. You know, if I'm not being like this, I'm not earning my keep. But you really, it's like, because I'd always watch some of these guys sometimes, right? These big dramatic actors. And I'm going, my God, he's just walking through this. I mean, I, I, I want to work up a sweat for you guys because you're paying me to do that. And it's like, no, just, you know, less is more. Just don't do anything. The camera's picking up everything. Just be, just be you, just be real. And you can be energetic, but, you know, there's just an honesty that you don't need to... You don't need to work it so much. So I, I tried to abandon that as soon as I could. But I, I think that's the difference. There's just a, uh, and look at, I have so much respect for stand-ups, uh, so much respect. Um, and I, I watched, as of late, I watched so much stand-up comedy because I think I'd like to, I, I think it's like something on my bucket list that I'd like to go and, and try because you want to, you know, it's different to make your friends laugh. You've got to make that room be your friends and all have something in common and laugh with you, right? Right. And of course, there's just there's so much humor right now and in, in being older and in a world out there being younger. And I think I've always been silly. So I've never had a problem really with like meshing with young people. I mean, young people kind of like me, but I know how they feel when you see old people, you know, like because that's like that's like somebody flipping to the end of the book and showing you the ending. It's like, you don't want to, I don't want, that's the way it was for me. It's like, I don't want to see old people because that's where it's, I'm going to be there soon enough. You know what I mean? And even old people don't like looking at old people because it's like, oh my God, I'm old. Why am I with you? So we've got to spread out, spread out there, <laughs> disperse. But so I don't know. I've, I, uh, I watch these standups and I go, yeah, yeah. There's so many little moments I'd love to talk about. And so I don't know, maybe, but yeah, just going to, I have a lot of stand, uh, respect for stand-up as well, but there's something about being an improv where you got to give and take and you got to listen too, you know? Um, so a lot of people think improv is just, you keep talking and it's kind of the opposite. Right, right. It's, it's more 
interpreting and understanding, right? Yeah, and really, and the give and take, you know, don't plan anything because you may have it all in your head planned and then somebody comes out and in one line has altered everything right down to who knows, maybe even the character you are uh, in a heartbeat. So you just got to go. You just got to go with the flow. I had a chance to do, um, you know, Ben does those uh, uh, Ben Ben Schwartz and Friends uh, things that. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, the theater downtown. And then, of course, he travels now all over the country performing. And that was a lot of fun because I hadn't done it in a long time. When we were doing Space Force uh -huh. in the second season, he said, look, we're wrapped. Would you come and play with us at the Larago Theater, I think it's called? Uh -huh. And I said, oh, wow. I couldn't say no to Ben, right? So it was like, yes, okay, yes, I will. And then I was like, geez, I haven't done this in like 30 years. What am I talking about? More than that, maybe, you know, in my early 20s. But it was fun. And it's weird how, how the old muscles click in you know, find an activity, do a little thing. And it's like, oh, okay. All right. So that was a fun, fun experience. Oh, you gotta love that. And, and like, I just saw Ben actually, uh, not in person, but I, I saw him in, um, God, I'm suddenly, uh, blanking on it. Oh, Renfield. Um, yeah. Oh, did you see that? I did see it. And he plays the, one of the villains uh sort yeah. of kind of someone trying to prove himself and he plays that that overgrown kind of uh man child so well yeah but yeah <laughs> still manages to you know make you feel sorry for him at times even though uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and you know on um well, i might have said this when i talked to you last but when in Space Force in that second season, we were up in Vancouver and we, because of COVID, we all had to stay together, right? We couldn't go out and do things. So as a group, um, we would meet for Saturday night dinners and then we would go back to Ben Schwartz's hotel because in the hotel he had a, um, they had a screening room. Uh -huh. so we would go and we would watch movies on Saturday. After dinner, we'd go and watch movies on Sunday night. It was so fun. Oh, that's uh, I, love, I, miss them. I miss them all so much. And, and so it was tremendous fun. Well, uh, we would talk, I think one night, a couple, maybe a couple of weekends in a row, we did Nicolas Cage movies, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, one of the movies that we watched for sure was the one with John Malkovich, was the, which was The Rock, right? Or the Rock or... Um, no, no, Con, Con Air. Air. Con Air. It was Con yes. Air. Yes, welcome to Con Air. <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, we go there now and we, we ask Malkovich to come with us and come and watch so he he organized this dinner john did it was beautiful at his hotel and then we went over and we all watched con air with him and so we would keep stopping and starting because we would say to him okay that moment was that in the script or did you guys make that up or tell us about this or there was like some other moment where okay was that real or was that cgi because it was back at the kind of the beginning when they started to play with so he was so gracious with on oh, no, all this he told us so many stories and then sometimes he would stop the machine and say okay here this guy came in and then you know he go <laughs> and it was so much fun so the weird thing about reinfeld was or renfeld i'm not sure how you say it but the, the cool thing about that was that, that Ben gets cast in a movie with Nicolas Cage after us watching those times up in things. So that was after, no way. Yeah, That's yeah, amazing. it was after. So yeah. that was so that was so fun. And he, you know, so he sent, sent us some pictures of of him and Nick Cage just chilling in their wardrobe, <laughs> which is in their con wake up, which is pretty funny. Yeah, he willed it into existence. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, it's like a. How often do you get live? 
commentary of a film by an actor no less John Malkovich. <laughs> no less John Malkovich, exactly. <laughs> and there's a guy that, my goodness, you know, I was so kind of anxious to meet him. What's he going to be like? Is this going to be, is this going to be pins and needles, you know, anxiety time? And he couldn't have been sweeter and such a good actor. And he's so generous with stories and, and anything, you know, he's just a really great guy, a great guy. Laugh, loves to laugh, play games, the whole deal. It was so fun. And that's John Malkovich. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was such a treat, such a treat for all of us. Yeah, it's, a, it's uh, I mean, he's got a name, name, or he's got a movie named after him. Uh, yeah. Being yeah. John Malkovich. I mean, he's that guy. It's, yeah. it's he's that big of a deal. Uh, yep. yep, for sure. <laughs> and for sort sure. of, I guess, among every industry, it's like, uh, yeah, I guess we could thank Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman for that. Um, oh, wow. He's doing it way before them. He right. Was, yeah. And he'd have a he'd have a neat thing with his script that I remember saying one day, can I ask you about this? What you've got going here? Because he had every page uh, with little tags on it of different colors. Yeah. Which, which were different scenes. And then he had colors for different shows. And then wow. he had things for moments along this one other side. Because we did it in those, you know how they uh, cross, cross block now, block and shoot. Now, yeah. okay. you know, you'll, you'll do in a, in a span of three months, you'll do four shows or three shows, mm -hmm. then you'll get them done and move on. I guess, it, you know, it saves money, but you can literally be between four and five shows in one day. So you really got to keep track of where you are, not only in the episode, but in the arc of the entire series, right? So John's was very elaborate. And I remember asking him that the first season uh, when we were in L.A., uh, and uh, he had this just a giant binder and he had all these things and it was amazing, just amazing. Uh, because I guess from that, being as studious he was, as he was, it freed him up acting wise because he always knew exactly where he was in the, in the, the plot of the story. Damn, that's you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. So that was impressive to see. Um, yeah, I bet. Shit, that's brilliant. Um, yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, how do you... How do you not develop disassociative identity disorder when you've got that many projects going on at once yeah. like, it's for any actor like you? Yeah. It's like, yeah. how do you stay sane? Yeah, yeah. It's why well, you just kind of minimize, like I, I just know from, from my point of view, it's just minimize the day. Just mm -hmm. this is what we're doing tomorrow. And then you cut it down even less than that. You go, okay, this is what we're doing before lunch. Yeah. So you look at everything before lunch and maybe two or three scenes, right? And it's like, you're, you're, you spent time learning the entire day, but this is what we're doing before lunch. Okay, gone now. And you got to be like a baseball player. Hopefully the scene went great, but if it didn't in your mind, you did as best you could leave it. Now you got to go on. You can't, you can't sulk. You got to go into the next thing. And then you look during lunch, you look into what's after lunch. I got two or three scenes after lunch. Here we go. And then, but then gradually in between those scenes of actually shooting it, when they give you a break to change the angle and you go back to your seat, now you're looking at tomorrow's right? So you're popping ahead to tomorrow's to get familiar with that. So it's agonizing sometimes at the time, but when you look back on it, it's kind of romantic. I mean, you might not get home till eight or nine o'clock or you, well, what am I saying? Nine or 10 o'clock. And then you have a shower and get the makeup off and then, okay, let's start on tomorrow again. You know, the stuff before lunch in particular, and you're up till like 1231 in the morning and then call time is six and away you go. So it's just, you get on that train and you don't get off till you're done. But it's exhilarating. And then when the weekend comes, you go out and you do, you know, 
uh, karaoke and and have a great dinner and see movies with John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's uh, sounds like a solid weekend. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I speaking of solid weekends, I think one of the most fond memories I have is of Claire and Bonnie visiting um, the boys in Florence and just, you know, getting able, being able to travel with them and spend time with them and uh, all the, the, you know, the dinners, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. That's so cool. That's so cool to hear you say that. That's so wonderful. That's so nice. It was special for them too, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm glad to hear. You know, I have this one story of I think I was like sick, and me, Taylor, and Evan. I don't know if you mem- remember yeah. Evan Lyon. Yeah, he's yeah. so so. We're in three corners of of one kind of small bedroom. You know, this is a hostel turned um, sort of housing situation for uh. Uh, students that w- went to Gonzaga, the exchange program. So we're right in the middle of Florence. And anyways, Bonnie, you know, we had already met, but she uh, comes in and sits down on my bed and she tells me the story of, you know, when she was a nurse and she was uh, on the job one time and one of her patients, um, I told her, you know, I think, they got to talking and Bonnie told her that her dream is to become an actress. And the nurse was like, do it. Don't wait on it. And Bonnie, I guess, you know, quit her, her job as a nurse and went into acting and never forgot that conversation. And then she told me, she was like, Hey, if you want to, if you want to do anything creative, just, just do it. And if you want to be an actor, you've got the face for acting. But (laughs) luckily, I mean, for me, not luckily, but um, I'm I'm I I wouldn't want to be in the spotlight. It's uh, I don't know. I I I think it would be exhilarating, like you're saying, to to be kind of a, a public figure, inevitably. But um, if I were to do anything, I would be like behind the scenes yeah. on a creative project. I just yeah. wouldn't have you know yeah. be out there and in, in the open. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of an but, introvert so but but a lot of actors are introverts oh well can I tell you something I'm I'm the same way it's like I I kind of don't want the attention either and sometimes when you do the, you know obviously when you do the scenes you shoot the master first right and then you go in on two shots and things like that and I'm always fine with that I enjoy that we're gonna you know two shots and stuff great and then they'll say always say you know then you know ultimately it's gonna be time for your close-up and I'm always, I, in my head, I'm always like, oh, you guys, you don't have to do a close-up on me. It's just, that's, it's not, it's not, please. I don't, I don't want, and it's like, Don, we don't have a choice. We have to do one. Yeah, I know, but don't feel like I want it. I don't want one. I'm happy with the shot. I'm happy with the master. Don't take time for me because then it's all a camera on you. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I'm, I think I've learned after this long that really, if you want to be a big star, you got to want that camera on you like, like that, you know? And it's like, I was fine. Well, I'll take a two shot. I'm good with the two shot. That's fine. Who wants to be in it with me? <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, you and Bonnie kind of came up together. How did that creative collaboration begin? Well, it started with um, Second City in uh, Los Angeles when they formed a company. Got it. Uh, they wanted to have a company in LA, so they had to put together a cast. So usually it's not done like that. They never throw a cast together. 
but in this instance, they did, and they took uh, three or four people from uh, Chicago and took three or four people from Toronto and, and put us together, threw us together, and said, okay, you're going to be the LA company. And so we uh, performed at, uh, on, uh, in Santa Monica at the Mayfair Theater, uh, which was this beautiful, old, ornate theater. It had balconies and everything like that. But, you know, we were always saying, this is cabaret. This is like cabaret theater. We don't need balconies and trap doors and things like that. We just need like a big square box and tables for people to put their drinks on, right? Mm -hmm. But but that's that's the that's what happened. And uh, I mean, they wanted to put their best foot forward, so they got this theater. It was just a little premature, in that the area, the rest of the area had like there's the big Third Street Promenade down there now in Santa Monica. It's huge. It's right beside, nice. very close yeah. to where the theater was, oh. but it wasn't finished yet, so we didn't have the traffic quite quite there yet and then the other thing that was weird about it was um you know you do your your improv show and then in the third act you do your show your set show which is all derived from improv and but you set it right mm -hmm. and then in the third act you have a whole improv act where you make up new things and the stuff you like you keep tabs on and when it comes time to put a new show together you draw from those ones you like but what we found in LA which was so weird and we were all finding this together was um the fact that, oh my gosh, when, when that would come time for the, after the second act for the third act improv, all the, all, most, a lot of the audience would leave and you go, guys, you're missing perhaps what could be the most fun act of the show. And they will say, well, I got business in New York. I got to get up at five. So everybody, because of the time change of deal, doing with business in New York and things like that, nobody wanted to stay late in LA. They wanted to get out of there early so they wouldn't stay much for the improv set. So I think that kind of hurt it too, but yeah. The, the bonus for me was meeting Bonnie and yeah. we just hit it off right off the bat. We just hit it off. And we, we had a few scenes. One of them in particular was this date scene we had and we would play every night so much with that. And it was so much fun. And then Bonnie and I decided to leave at the same time, second city, because we wanted to, you know, uh, pursue more because we'd been out of it. And, and I, I wanted to kind of be, I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to be out and try things and, and Bonnie left too. And I thought, well, if Bonnie's leaving, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to stay because that's who I really clicked with. And then I had another buddy from Toronto, John Hempel, who was going to head back to Toronto. So I thought, this is it. My, this is, I'm, I'm done, mm -hmm. which was all great. But then, you know, uh, Bonnie was so gracious. She's, my goodness, she sold two series and did them, uh, the building and the Bonnie Hunt show. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be on those with her. And then we uh, suddenly in the second uh, uh, Bonnie Hunt show, we kind of, she was a reporter, so she would do these remotes. So I would start going along with her when, when she would go back to Chicago and shoot these remotes for the show because mm -hmm. she played a news reporter. So we'd have to shoot little stuff like that and, and blend it into the sitcom story. Mm -hmm. So it was going on that, those trips that we started working behind the scenes a little more. Uh, you know, behind the camera, but we had such a short shorthand. Um, I remember she was doing this one thing in a fast food store and she's, a, I'm, I'm not in it. I'm watching from behind the camera, but she's the server. She's the server, right? She's at the counter. And I remember her talking about the thing. She's an incredible improviser, of course, as well. And she's, she's talking about the different things they have on the menu to this one salesman. And I remember being by the camera and all I did was I held up my wallet. I held it up so I knew she could see it. Yeah. And then, and then I remember it didn't miss a beat. She goes, sir, do you have ID for the, for the meal? Yeah. And it was like, it was just, you know, so we had that kind of 
yin and yang. You know what I mean? It was just, we really, because, you know, that's a, she just got it. She just knew it. And from our time on stage, that's, that's where you form a trust, right? When you're out there improvising with no net under you and as an audience, you got to trust who you're out there with. And we completely trusted each other. So that's when that formed. And then uh, I was lucky enough to, to work with on Return to Me, the movie. We wrote that together and Bonnie directed it and starred in it. And, uh, yes. and then we went on to... Uh, David Duchovny and Minnie Driver, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then we did... Uh, and then we did Life with Bonnie, that sitcom where that was her and I do, creating it and, and doing it. And, and it was fun. And I didn't act in that and I didn't miss it. I loved being, I loved writing and I loved being, you know, an, an EP on it, and the editing process and all that stuff. And, you know, Bonnie was the flagship for it, of course, but I was just, I was in there and of course learning so much, but, but that was so fun. And then the talk show was another entity onto its own, her talk show. That was amazing too. What an amazing experience because that was something where, you know, of course, Bonnie always knew she wanted to, I'm not going to speak for her. She, she, she'd always mentioned doing a talk show would be fun because she was such a great guest on Letterman and even back to Johnny Carson. And uh, yeah. she, you know, I knew she wanted the shot at doing that. And I always thought, man, I want to be with her when she's doing the talk show. <laughs> and, uh, but it was it was an amazing an amazing uh, experience because the work the workload's insane. You wouldn't think it, right? You right. Know? Yeah. But there's so much creatively that goes into it with 12, 12 minutes of original material to start every show, and then sometimes you know in two days you shoot two shows on what was Monday, shoot two shows on when on Tuesday, one show Wednesday, and two shows Friday. Wow. So it's a, it's it's a relentless grind. Um, but it, that was the closest we felt to being back at second city. You know what I mean? I mean, there was, there was actually some shows on a second show on a Friday in the afternoon where it's like, all right, Bon, I'll follow you. I'll help however you can, but you're going to be winging a lot of this. And it, it was exhilarating to us, especially when it turned out great. Right. Yes. It would always freak the studio out because when they saw on paper, what we had is that's it. That's it. That's all you've got. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, and then we got to, to write remotes and shoot remotes and shoot. We would do sketches in the, in the, uh, in the studio too, to put into the show. It was almost really like a variety show that just aired in the afternoon. And people used to, our audience basically uh, T-voted all the time. And we had a million people every day tune into that show <laughs> religiously. But what, what sunk us there was the, uh, was when the, um, the, the uh, I don't remember when the car business, car business hit, took the hit. And yes. mortgage companies did the things they did. Remember, so many failed. Yeah, 2008, right? Yeah, exactly. 2008, that's exactly right. And that's what killed us because so, suddenly local affiliates had no more money. Or they didn't, I shouldn't say that, they didn't have as much money as they used to because all the car ads were pulled. Car advertisers weren't advertising as much. So the local channels who would have to pay the license fee didn't have the money for our show. So they'd play a rerun of, you know, I Love Lucy or something. Uh, so that's what did us in, which is otherwise we'd still be doing it now. I mean, you know, we were having, we were actually having, uh, uh, I don't know what you call them, like products coming to us because of the way Bonnie would so genuinely talk about their, their thing, their product, you know, it might be through yeah. a family memory or a story she'd have, but you can't, you can't, I was going to say you can't buy stuff like that, but it's like, nobody did it like her. You know what I mean? Yeah, creating so, emotional connection. Yeah. yeah, and so unfortunately, that show kind of got cut prematurely, 
as happens, you know, it happens in the business. And life with Bonnie was, was cut kind of prematurely too, because ABC said, we don't have anything to play with it. And it's like, oh, so we're going to, we're going to play down, you know, you, you've got nobody to play with us. So we, we're the one going, it right. never made sense, but it's show business, you know, that's why there's that term. Show biz. Yeah. The show must go on, even if it's another show, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I always take it like you can, there's so many things you can't explain. And it's like, that's why people say that's showbiz, you know, right. Yeah. There's so many things in show business you can't explain. Show business is the only thing, the only place where two plus two can equal five, you know, because <laughs> we'll just convince you what the right story it does, or we'll just tell you it does. But yeah, it's interesting, but I am, I, I don't really through all that. They were all great experiences and you learned a lot. And I've been really lucky to work with so many tremendous people, you know? So, yeah. And it all started with just like making funny, cool art with your friends yeah. and bonding and see, you know, which one you click with creatively and yeah. then it just, you know, took off from there. I think that's, that's, the sort of get takeaway I get is just keep, keep, you know, if, if you're going to do something, do it with people that you like, respect, yeah. connect with, have the same values. Um, yeah. You can consider a, a friend and like you're saying, have that yin and yang, um, almost like your thoughts are, your creative thoughts are interconnected to where. Yeah. Like you're yeah. saying, when you go off script and you have a minimal script or something, and you, you, you can pull that off because you have that connection, that unspoken. Right. We're just going to do it. We're going to wing it and, it, and it works out. And, um, and yeah, she were, we were just exhilarated by that. It's like, okay, here we go. Now, you know, obviously Bonnie's carrying the load because she's up on that desk, right? But yeah. up behind that desk for the talk show. But I mean, they're cutting to me because I'm right there with her. But it's like, here we go. Let's let's do it. Here we go. Ooh, 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 here we go. But there's no there's no greater high than when you pull it off, right? And everybody going, wow, that was fantastic. You guys were on fire. And it's like, yeah. When did you plan that gig? And it's like, hmm, yeah. yeah, you know, about ten seconds ago. And I remember telling one of the people in our cast. She was a producer and a writer, uh, uh, Ellie. Uh, Brancic and and she was really great and we we just loved working with her too we were so happy when she came on board and she was from Conan O'Brien's camp right okay so we had her playing different things like uh these shows or like the uh, one of the like an audience member who loves uh the one of the bachelor the bachelor you know you have okay. you discuss the bachelor yeah. and so she come up and talk to Bonnie like a one of the people on the show works on the show and they should talk about the bachelor and we were just telling her just don't ellie was always like what do i say what do i say and it was so we just told her don't worry about what you say screw that just just talk just be you and it was like okay all right okay and she was great she was fabulous and we went to her a million times uh, for you know the bachelorette the bachelor any other show so it was it was cool it was cool but you got to have that kind of gung-ho attitude right it's like yeah let's do it let's just do it I'd imagine that's the kind of the same attitude you have to have when you're doing stand-up because you don't know what's going to hit or miss until you're on that stage and you have to be able to like adapt. Okay. They're not laughing at my current right. uh, initial jokes. Um, right. I have in the backup of the memory palace here that I can pull out of my, you know, out of my ass or my, my magic hat. Yep. And that's <laughs> the thing that, that's the thing that amazes me too, is how do you remember all that? I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've got a friend in Canada. I got a friend in Canada, Ron James, who's like uh, 
one of the premier standups. And we were in Second City in Toronto together, right? Mm -hmm. But Ron was one of those guys who was just kind of a free spirit and kind of born for, you know, maybe you should, it kind of evolved for him. He went from the, evol the evolution of the improv cast to kind of wanting to branch out. And it's like, I remember the first night he did stand up and I went with him and I just said to him, my only thing, my only note is you've got to leave room for people to laugh because yeah. you're really funny. And he's so articulate and he's like, it's, it's the way he speaks in a routine is like a symphony. I kid you not, he's such a wordsmith, right? But it's like, literally people weren't laughing. And it's like, no, the reason they weren't Ron is because they didn't have room. They didn't want to miss anything. If they laugh, they're going to miss the first two or three lines of your next thing. So give them moments where they can laugh. And, and he's, but to, the reason I brought that up is, I mean, he plays these 5,000 seat auditoriums now. He's, like I said, a premier stand-up in Canada. It does really, really well. And he's so good. But he shows me pictures sometimes of backstage before he goes on. And I kid you not, Alex, there's got to be 45 pages lined up beside each other. There may even be more. I may be short, short changing him because I think he's out there for an hour and a half. So it would be 90 pages, right? But really, literally, it's just page after page after page. And he just keeps going through it, right? Just keeps running through it. But I'm always amazed. It's like, my God, Ron, when you're out there, yeah, sure, you're, you're, you got in your head, but what happens when you just blank? Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, you're just blank. And it's like, well, it's like, that's when you're on the cliff and you just start talking. And then he says, then the rest of it, you know, you'll, you'll find a place to pick it up and you can do it. And it's like, okay, all right. But that's the one thing that would kind of be, I'd be scared of, you know, yeah. <laughs> an hour and a half and you just, wow. Yeah. It's no kidding. Me too. It, and it sounds like he's got it down to like an art form down to as close of a science as you can be really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't some, know. How to do that. Some guys I don't like to jinx, right? Like I don't like to ask some people um, how they like. How do you do? You ever blank in a scene? I don't like to ask them that because if they never did before, I'm afraid I'm going to plant a seed. You know. <laughs> so it's the same with, with same with like some kind of people. Some people I know who might do stand up. I don't want to ask them how do you remember the lines because I don't want them suddenly not being able to remember the lines. <laughs> mm -hmm. if that makes any sense? Yeah. You know. So it's just like I'll just wonder what they how they do it. Um, <laughs> No kidding. Yeah. And so like, I think, you know, speaking of coming up in the business and making art with your friends, I think uh, also when, when Claire and bon um, Bonnie visited, bon you know, we got, I think we were on the subject of storytelling. And, and so Bonnie kind of takes center stage at the, at the dinner we're at and she starts telling stories about when she was you know trying to make it as as an actor uh with you know George Clooney and uh, Richard Kind yeah I think uh you know she one of the stories she told is a story that that George has told already and it's it's the the cat box story with Richard yeah. which we thought was so fucking funny and yeah. obviously because who would do that it's just yeah. like it takes a lot of work to pull off a joke like that a yeah joke. yeah and then there was another time i think she was like you know they were messed up on something i don't know that it's that 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 part's not important but they decided to mess with the guards at in london or it was either oh, that right. or, or some of the guards in, in, in Italy. And 
they pissed him off and they i think they got arrested and and just wow. like spent the day there you know because they were wow. just yeah you're not allowed to fuck with the with the guard no. <laughs> yeah so it's probably either it's either going to be what the guys at buckingham palace or it's going to be that elite group at the vatican i forget what yeah. they're called oh right it could have been the vatican yeah 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 what are those guys i can't remember what they're called but it's an elite elite special force and they've got to wear those incredible clown costumes too while they're doing it <laughs> right you know it's like yeah, being it it's like being i don't know uh you know 007 kind of guy but you got to wear that what yeah yeah how does anyone take you seriously yeah, yeah. but they do i guess uh take themselves seriously very seriously but how fun for you guys i can't imagine what a perfect setting to be at <laughs> yeah. right to with bonnie and, and her having her tell the stories and claire there or what that's that's beautiful that's so great that's so yeah. great we even i i think they were going to visit george and like como and we they invited us and like we even had the chance to go there and i think spend the night or a day or a night there and we were too tired because we had been traveling for hours on train to Cinque yeah. terra from from florence and you can't fly into Cinque terra you got to take the long train ride to the short train <laughs> going to the furthest island in, in Cinque terra so it was monte rosso uh, El Mare, and uh, we were just like, you know, we're stuck here. It's raining. Let's just uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll say no. But I think we all regret, regretted that later on because that would have been a fun time. I'm sure. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But boy, all the traveling you guys did too. But that's what was so great about it, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. It really was, and we yeah. we sort of like didn't really have a plan. Kind of like improvising. Really, it's yeah. like real life you know decisions um yeah. but you're applying it to like the improv technique so you were just like okay what do we do what do we do we're here let's go uh rent an apartment for all of us and yeah. out we found like a really cheap apartment and it's just things like that you know oh this restaurant looks cool uh yeah yeah not having a set plan really um yeah saying it's exhilarating yeah and do you still look back at it as a very special time? Oh, yeah. Studying yeah. in college, it was such a special time. That, getting to go abroad for two weeks in, in high school uh, from, with my Italian class, um, and a wow. couple of vacations to Italy. It kind of, I kind of have this love affair with Italy. Um, I've been learning the language since I was 12 years old. So Have you really, huh? School, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I minored in it and everything and, you know, got got into the National Honor Society and was um, wow, basic, virtually fluent by the time I graduated. But it's been about, you know, 11, 12 years since I've spoken the language. So but you, you got to get back, right? You're going to go back at some I really point want to get back. And, you know, I have this dream of re retiring there someday. Yeah, well, I hope that happens for you. I hope that happens. What a place to retire, huh? I know it, it would be amazing. And I, I couldn't help but pick Florence if I had to go. Yeah. Uh, again. Uh, yeah. As my, you know, main sort of objective, just revisit Florence and all the sites. Oh, uh, wow. Wow. Yeah. We, I, I always, in, you always think of past lives. I, well, I can't say everybody does, but I always think if I had past lives, yeah. you know, whether it's on my path. And I always thought I lived during the Roman times. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I always did. I don't know why. I just always thought. And I, and, uh, I remember when we were lucky enough to, in return to me, go to, to uh, Rome to shoot for a couple of weeks. Oh, um, and uh, I remember going to the Colosseum. And I remember touching certain, and I would touch any building, uh, and a lot of older buildings in Rome. And I would touch it and going like, okay, it's been thousands, it's been a long time since I've been here before. Um, but I remember, you know, did I touch it way back when, right? Or, or yeah, I remember it just felt, it, you wanted to think it felt familiar in a way. But I, I still am in awe of what they built when they built it, oh, you know, and dude. the things they invented. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So who do you think you were? Were you an athlete? Were you a gladiator? Were you an emperor? Or were you the owner of your local vomitorium? Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. You know, I, I used to run track and okay. I did very well in high school in track and uh, very well. And, and, but I didn't want to do it in, in university because I said, you know what, you, you're running against the clock. That's what you're running against. Mm -hmm. Really, I'm not running against other people. I'm running against the clock. The clock, you know, and the clock is never affected by the weather. The clock is never affected by girlfriend problems or anything like that. No, no problems at home. It's just the clock. And I start here and I run as fast as I can and I make sure I'm the first guy back. It's like very simple, right? Because when I used to play football, I was a wide receiver and a running back, but they used to switch me in and out every play, every other play. Yeah. And I would come in with the play from the coach, right? Yeah. But I'd, I'd get halfway out and I would forget what the play was that he called. Oh. Like, oh my so now I'm still running to the huddle going, okay, well, what do you think he called? Well, he probably maybe called this. It's second down with eight to go. He's probably called this. So I'd go in the huddle and very confidently say a play. But of course, you'd see the coach on the side after we'd run it with the arms up in the air and mad as hell running, cursing at me. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I forgot. I forgot what the thing was. So the reason I, I say that, that I did well at track because there's no plays in track, right? Yes. Right. Or, or like in basketball, same thing, even in baseball, no plays You yep. just, or hockey for sure. You just start here, run as fast as you can and make sure you're the first guy back here. Okay. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I did that really well. So I don't know, maybe I was a, a meager athlete or something, or I don't think it was anything grand. Um, the grand part for me, I think comes in my fear of heights. Mm. So I've always thought with my fear of heights that my past life was, I was in one of the tall ships, right? Okay. And I'm not going to say I'm like Christopher Columbus or anything, but I'm on the tall ship and I'm way up at the mask. Remember the crow's nests they'd have at the yes. mask? Yeah. So I think, you know, that thing gets rocking like 10 feet back and forth can be even worse. And I think something might've happened that I fell out of the crow's nest, landed on the deck and was killed. And that's why I'm painfully afraid of heights. Right. So it's all, mm -hmm. it's all that, it's all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I, I somewhere, so, that's what was funny about space force is somewhere in my past, I would think I was a space astronaut. Now, of course I was born in 56. So yeah. I think the space program happened after that where they had astronauts, but no matter what I do, when, I, when it's an anxious time, and I've engraved it, I haven't done it so much with Taylor, but certainly have with our daughter, Wyatt. Whereas when it's something gets really busy and technical and anxious, I always say, just be like the astronauts. I mean, they're just cool and calm and collective. They don't show their emotion. They don't let the work problem work them like the, you know Apollo 13, that great true story, which is amazing to me. Yeah. But uh, that's the other occupation I think of all the time. And, and, and then the other thing was, I would always think going to work acting wise, I think, don't be nervous. 
I mean, you should be nervous if you've got to step into a ring with Muhammad Ali and oh. box around with him. Then you could be nervous. <laughs> but you're just going to act. You're not going to die. You're going to leave there intact. So all a little blind yeah. games. You don't, yeah. You've literally nothing to lose. Uh, <laughs> if you get, you know, if there's a no or, you, you know, you go to audition for something and, uh, you know, it, it's nothing you're you're the same exact in the same exact situation as you were when you entered so it's yeah. really that's a good way to look at it i don't know as an astronaut if i'd be so relaxed because uh i probably get cabin fever after about 10 minutes and have yeah. locked yeah. in my room you know because yeah. you're in this the claustrophobia for me would set in so i don't know what yeah. that informs me about my my past life uh, yeah. maybe ground or something or and, and then when you see inside those those capsules it's not like they're built for comfort you know they're not built for comfort you can't it's not like there's bucket seats and the headrests and the whole thing it's like wow this is really this is 100 percent work isn't it you know yeah. yeah for sure you see some of those things but uh i don't know why i always do that but you're right with the spaceship it's not like you can say is there a front porch i can go <laughs> but but I guess it's the problem solving that I admire so much because that movie was like, man. And then just them loosely, just manually setting that mark to get back into the into the yeah. atmosphere. I mean, come on and walk. Oh my God, I know. I know. Was that was that uh, Ron Howard? I think. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Apollo uh, thirteen. And you know, if you were the the mast guy, then you know, and you fell off, you didn't even get to say land ho. I mean, shit. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what they heard. They heard they heard me yell something, but that was it land ho or was he saying oh no? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he said oh no. Oh really? So he didn't see land. Well, we'll never know, but I think he said oh no, because he's dead. He's lying on the crack <laughs> his skull wide open. Um, <laughs> um, I can't can you imagine what kind of a wild ride that would be up there? Oh my god, no, I, I couldn't. It would just be you'd have to create a, a nook for yourself maybe get like a you know a portrait of your family but yeah. tie it to one of the you know a yeah. makeshift sort of office uh, yeah 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 it's basically a bird's nest <laughs> it really god that's so true that's so um, true but yeah you know it's I, just a couple more questions uh so zootopia plus um you reprised your 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 character as as Stu hops from the original Zootopia. So I've heard stories about how Disney is so secretive, it can seem like the CIA sometimes. I think Freddie Prince Jr. told me that because he worked on Star Wars Rebels and you know, oh, came wow. back for a voiceover for The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, but so what was it like for you? Um, what was, was there that level of secrecy or is that more geared towards like Marvel and Star Wars kind of stuff? Well, I think it was... Um... For, I, I mean, for that, it was kind of like you never saw the material until just b before, um, you know, you went in the next day. And it's pretty much it's just, you know, I don't know, there's kind of a, a respect there that you just you just don't just don't talk about it. Just don't give away anything. And uh, I think they're pretty trusting of it. Um, Bonnie and I had a neat experience, though. We, we did some uh, writing additional material for cars. Mm, I uh, have and so they, they, we got to, you know, because Bonnie was good friends with John Lasseter and we got to go up, fly up in this jet and we, we got to see the campus 
where they work and everything like that. Uh, being in the, like the, the, the creative room, so to speak, you know, with all the storyboard and they talked us through the entire thing of cars and the whole story. And it was really amazing. And then they gave us a computer and uh, then sent us, sent us back home. Uh, and so we would write and, you know, we, we, it was kind of on our own schedule, but we'd sit down and we'd write. And then we'd, we would, it, would, it was weird for a little while because we'd be a couple of days where we'd write and then maybe the third day or something, somebody would call and just check in, how's it going and that. And then when we got off the phone, we paused and it's like, how do they know about that? You know? How do they know we wrote that on Tuesday? And it turns out that the computer that they'd given us, you know, oh. it was just, it was kind of their computer, so to speak. So they knew ever, they knew when we sat down, what we did that day, you know, and wow. it was so funny because when we were done, somebody showed up at the front, Bonnie's front door and pulled up a laptop and you give it back to them. And this person drove it up to uh, Palo Alto or, you know, San Francisco area where they where their headquarters were. But, but it was funny, you know, because we'd be talking on the phone and they would mention this and that. And we think, yeah, yeah, good. Oh, well, that's great. You like it. That's tremendous. And then, okay, we'll see you. We'll talk, talk next week. Okay, good. Good. Talk next week. Wait, <laughs> wow. Wait yeah, a uh... yeah. We didn't work on, we worked on Monday. We didn't work on Tuesday. So it was Monday. We said this, we're talking to them on Thursday. How is that possible? You yeah. know, and then it was like, oh my God, they're, yeah. they're, they're hooked in. They're going or Orwellian on us. Uh, yeah. yeah. But so anyway, uh, with that, that was my only, that came to mind, that story about the computer. Um, but really it's, uh, we're just pretty, not secretive, but you just don't, you don't let the cat out of the bag. They've all worked so hard. And a lot of times too, right? You're doing the dialogue before the end, end piece is finished mm -hmm. because you have to get dialogue first in an animated project. So it's, uh, so you there's really not a lot to see yet. Um, and, and you just, of course, are privy to what you guys do, your, your material, not other cast members. So, yeah, it's uh, not too hard keeping things quiet. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But other things. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of, I can't imagine some of the Marvel stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely. I've, I've seen videos of like them slip a little bit and giving too much information. And it's like, they always say yeah. You know, Kevin Feig, these or Feige, I think is I don't it's how you pronounce his last name, the Marvel guy. He's like, you know, you'll get a text from him as soon as you say something a little too spoilery wow. in the in the in the press. And it's like wow. Same with Kathleen Kennedy. It's uh wow. You know, because those are such massive IPs, I guess, uh, yeah. that have been existing for you know decades so i guess uh i could see why that it would be so so sort of secretive but um absolutely yeah it's it's funny that that you say uh you wrote some additional material for cars because so i was curious did you write any lines for owen wilson's character oh i don't specifically remember boy that was a while ago but i think we did yeah i think there might have been some stuff in there that's cool. Yeah. I mean, guy used to, you know, write Wes Anderson films and now you're writing for him. That's, yeah. that's a pretty cool full, full circle thing. Really? Um, really? And you also mentioned, um, 
you know, working with Mini Driver and, and Return to Me. Um, she, uh, you know, first thing that comes to mind for me is, is Goodwill Hunting. Did she ever share any stories about working with Gus and specifically like Elliot Smith, who's one of my favorite artists, you know, that was a movie that really brought him onto the map. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, she was, Minnie was great. Uh, but I, I didn't really get to talk as much as I'd like to with, mm -hmm. with some of them, you know, um, just because as a, in, in the capacity as a writer, you didn't get to hang out quite as often like you would actor wise. Sure. You know what I mean? I was kind of with Bonnie just all the time and um, which was, you know, a great experience anyway, but I know I didn't get to, to hang that much. David was a lot of fun to come to because, you know, he would always, we'd kind of, he, he, he would get all these clothes, right? Sent to him like Adidas and oh, no, Nike, yeah. Nike, all these different kind of blazers and windbreakers and slacks and everything. And running shoes, millions of running shoes. And uh, so he would give me, he would give me, like he'd always say, Don, do you want some? Do you want some shoes? Do you want something? And I would always, I would always say, yeah, sure, great. And I would always, the joke was that I would put it on and say, and he would say, oh, you, that looks good on you. And I, I would always say, I can wear anything. <laughs> so that kind of, that became a runner through the, through the, the rest of the, while we're shooting the rest of the movie. It's like, I, Don, you know, yeah, I can wear anything. You look good in that. I can wear anything. But, but he literally did give me like dozens of shoes and, and jackets and slacks and, and it was, it was fantastic. Cool. And when he came to the, uh, when he did the talk show, and so this is like, I don't know, 12 years later. Yeah, we did 2000 in 2008, sorry. When he came on the talk show, he came out with an extra pair of shoes. He came out with a pair of shoes for me, you know? And he said, oh, Don, you look, what you're wearing looks good. And I said, oh, I can wear anything. And we went right <laughs> back to it. But right. he's a he's a great guy. Minnie Minnie was great too. But I didn't get to I didn't get to hang. Like Robert Loggia was a great guy too. Remember one of the yes. older Robert yeah. Loggia. Yeah. yeah, and of course, um, oh my gosh, All in the Family. Uh, uh, all in the Family. Yeah, an iconic sitcom. Yes, Carol. Uh, oh, gee whiz, this will be fun. This will fill up a lot of time if you need time. Just get <laughs> yeah. just get an old guy on to remember not. Uh, oh okay, hold on oh yeah thanks there you go all right all in the family and it's the it's the patriarch guy it's the boss it's the guy who cares uh carol uh not obviously not Robert. Yeah, carol o'connor yeah carol o'connor right yeah oh sorry carol <laughs> yeah so, but uh, you know so he was iconic from all in the family right just iconic yeah uh, yeah so those guys were, were were amazing to watch to watch as well um and and great actors just great actors but it was yeah that was really like we would always joke too there was the bus for the actors and then there was the bus for the people behind the crew behind the camera so we'd always <laughs> split at the end of a day <laughs> but yeah. it was fun it was great and chicago was great in the summertime Oh, I bet my friend yeah. lives there and he keeps telling me to come out and visit. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this summer, it's probably the right time to do it. Just oh, it's the great best time to go. Definitely go. Have someone living there who can show you around and all that stuff. Big time. It's a great city. Um, it's a great city. So Toronto, you, Toronto and Chicago are sister cities, actually. Are they really? Okay. Yeah. That makes and a they're lot very, of sense. They're very similar. They're very similar. 
<clears throat> Chicago. Uh, I, I like Chicago a lot too. Second City was originated in Chicago, or was it Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then Toronto. Uh, you're not not too long after, but years after. So that's why it moved to Toronto is because they're sister cities, or probably yeah, yeah reasons probably. Yeah. Could um, be. And you mentioned you know you like doing you used to do track and you got some running shoes from David Duchovny. So I don't know if you were familiar with like track culture, you know, I think back when you were um, probably doing track, uh, Steve Prefontaine. So all oh, the name. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was this. So uh, high, was he a high jumper? He was a uh, long distance runner from. Okay. Eugene, yep. Oregon. They made a movie about him, Prefontaine and Without Limits. Uh, Jared Leto played him, and then Billy Crudup mm -hmm. played him again. Um, wow. But yeah, he's my my first cousin. Um, oh wow! Two generations out. Yeah, we we share a grandmother. Uh, to me, it's his. It's my great grandmother. It's his grandmother. Um, but. Wow. Yeah, and so I've always been fascinated by running culture and just really into to running. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I ran the 400 and the 800 meters. And okay. uh, I love the 400 meters because it's like you're going at about 95% that first lap and, and then, you know, the second lap, 100%. It's a wicked race to run. Um, but yeah. so, but that, that was my favorite race. And I wanted to run the 200 but we had too many guys at the 200 already. So the coach made me run uh, the 800 as well. But I, I, I was a champion in both, both kind of races. And, uh, the eight, and I, had, I happened to have a guy on my team. We were one and two in the city. And so it always made, you could never take a practice off because I was running my competition all the time, right? Right. Um, Joe Wilson. So he ran the 800 and uh, uh, I think he ran the 400 well, or he might've run the 1600, the 800 and the 1600. Wow. But uh, yeah, so in the 800, we always ran opposite each other. But uh, the 400, I love, because it was most like a racehorse too. You know, it's like once around the track, right? Right. And yeah. it's like, wow, it's, it's great. And yeah. oh, the 800 is the one where you do two laps, obviously. It, and that That's the most brutal. I think that's probably one of the most brutal races in track um, and cross country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I ran cross country too, before I got into, into football, but my first two years of high school, I ran cross country in the fall and then did track in the summer. And then in the winter we would run indoor track and that wow. I did all the way through senior year. Wow. Um, but that was even weirder because the indoor tracks were 200 meters. Right. Oh. So if you, when you did a 400, when you did a 400, you did two as uh. opposed to doing one. And the corners were the, the the ends were really banked, a oh, real steep bank to them. So you'd be running, 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 and you're like this, and you're up like this. <laughs> it was kind of fun, but it was it was very weird. And it always I remember the smell. Um, but there was a great coach uh, we had at the time uh, in the private track stuff, which was uh, Charlie Francis. I don't know if you remember Charlie Francis. Well, huh. he was a Canadian guy, and you're not Canadian, are you? That's so you're familiar. No. Okay. Yeah, because it was. Uh, and I don't know why the name Hugh Spooner is popping into my head. And then, huh. and then, well, Charlie Francis coached Ben Johnson, who was the oh. 100 meter gold medalist, but he lost it, right? Because of the drugs. Okay. Right, right, right. That's yeah. So, so wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, I don't think I could run that far now. 
Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm currently training for a marathon in July. This this would be my third full marathon, but, you know, I've run a bunch of half marathons in the last three years. It's just sort of, yeah, uh, something that I I really love. And that's great. Just trying to, you know, beat my PR and that's about it. And just that's so good. You get a couple hours to go on a run and it's just very meditative. I was I was just going to say that to you. It is, isn't it? Isn't, it, isn't yeah. it amazing when you get into that zone? Yes. And you really feel, and I, it's from cross country that I remember this, but I mean, you just get into that zone and it's like, you feel like you can run forever. Yeah. And, and it's not taking any toll on your body. Everything's moving in sync, nice and smooth. Yes. And it's just, I remember the fast, this is cross country, but just the way you move, the, the fastest 400 I ever ran was a good time. It was 47.2, right? That's a really wow. good time. And, <laughs> but you know what? It, ne- it never felt like my fastest race, which I tell people was always really weird huh. because, but everything was in sync. Everything was moving nice, just completely synchronized at ease. And then it was like, when I finished, I was like, oh my God, that's the fastest time I've ever had. And it felt like one of my slower races. But it's then like, like you say, and like you say with the marathons, you know, you hit that point. Yes. And doesn't it mentally close, just wipe the slate clean so nice? Oh, it totally does. And I, I know what you mean. It's like sometimes when your body is tired, you give, uh, you feel like you gave it all and you're like, that's got to be my best time by far. And it's like, you know, not even close to your personal bests. Right. Because your body is tired, but then... Like you're saying, you get to the, you get to that sweet spot to where you're like, oh, you set a PR, and you didn't even realize it because your body is working like such a well-oiled machine. It's yeah, just, yeah, know, I love that too. I know, and that boy, that's a that's a great thing for you to do. That is a great thing for yeah. you to do. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's nice. It's I don't know if I would have uh, you know had had been interested in it if I wasn't related to to Prefontaine. Wow, what a person also, to be related. You know, he's French Canadian. His family comes from from Canada. So yeah, I'm wondering if I could get dual citizenship. Maybe I think I have some family members there. Right. But yeah. I'm I'm more interested in the Italy dual citizenship. I got to find a way to marry an Italian woman or something. I don't know. I'll put that in the universe for you. I'll definitely put that in the universe for you. That's yeah. that's uh, that's fantastic. So final, final question, Don, uh, you know, what, what's next for you? I know we talked about family guy or not family guy, but Ted, um, by Seth MacFarlane, the family guy creator. Um, what, uh, do you have any exciting projects that you want to promote, um, looking on the horizon? And also I'm curious, what would your dream project be if you haven't already had one? Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. So here's, here's in a weird way, what my dream project would be, because I've always wanted to do it. And I, I've got half, I'm halfway done. And it's not, uh, oddly enough, it's not a film or anything like that. I always wanted to write a book, right? Yeah. And so it's something, you know, and there's obviously downtime if you're not writing something else, or if you're not acting in something, there's still downtime. So for years, I, I dabbled with this book. And I, I got it done few years back, but I, but, but I just kind of tucked it away. And now slowly I've had a few people read it and they're going, Oh God, that's really good. That's really good. 
And it's like, I want to get it, I want to get it published. Now, I don't know if, and I know the times have changed. I know that, uh, you know, they're self-publishing now and things like that. But in a weird way, I, 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 I kind of like to do that. And it's not an autobiographical book in any way. I've got a couple of buddies who wrote um, autobiographies and that, but uh, this is just a fictional story. And uh, I think it's kind of funny and silly and, and dramatic and heroic. Um, but, I, and I think it stems from all the Christopher Guest films that were yeah. like, you know, it kind of, you know, and I, the reason I say that is it's not a real, like the premise is, uh, this, uh, there, let's see, I, it's funny. I don't know how to, uh, like it's not quite reality. It's, uh, yeah, it's woven, it's woven into historic fact. Okay. So, so this book is, this story is about this expedition to the top of Mount Everest at the okay. beginning of World War II that changed the course of the war. Huh. Okay. And so, and, and so, this real quick. Keep sure. going, please. yeah, so it's woven into historical fact. It's woven into actual timeline of World War II, but, uh -huh. but all the characters are fictitious because it always intrigued me that when, when Hitler started the Luftwaffe, the Battle of Britain, right? Right. The big thing was, why didn't he finish it? Why did he not finish? Why didn't he finish attacking and, and decimating Britain, conquering it? And then his plan was to use Britain as like a launching pad to get to North America, right? right. But for some reason, he didn't, um, he didn't continue with that. And it's like, why? Why didn't he continue with that? So that's what this book answers, wow. uh, is that in a, in a funny way. And you've got, I just got a tour of your place while you were doing that. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Some of my other pictures. Holy moly. It's a, what a cool pad, as they say. Right. Yeah, hold on. Let me see if I can. Uh, let's see. Boom. Boom. Can you still hear me? Yeah, me. Yeah. Okay, good. We are plugged in for the yeah final moments. No, I, you didn't even see my uh, my little nook. Hold on. This is my desk. Wow. Desk, and then those are like more shelves of just wow. ephemera I've collected over the years. <laughs> fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so that book sounds amazing. I I love historical fiction. Uh, just incredible. And so that would be your dream project as well as something that is That'd be a dream project. And then of course, you know, I'm, I'm still writing and I've, I've, you know, written a couple of pilots. And so one was in the, the midst of, it was, it had been packaged, um, but it's got a, with the writer strike now, everything's kind of on hold. Right. You know, so you kind of just, uh, you kind of just stop because you don't want it to be by the time the strike's over, you don't want it to be an old story or feel like an old story, you know, because everyone will write during the time off. And then they'll come out. You're gonna you're gonna see an onslaught of all these new projects, and then slowly the ones they were almost about to develop before the strike feel like old news. So there's that thing. So it's like okay, just we'll just wait. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it's just I I do so enjoy writing. I really do. Um, I can hardly wait to get to the computer in the morning, and and uh, I'll do it all day if somebody doesn't stop me. Oh, but yeah. it's always been great. It's been a great thing to have on the set because you know sometimes they change the order of a scene and. You know, sorry, we're gonna do this scene first. It's gonna be about an hour or so. Fine, I don't care. I'll work. You know, and away yeah. you go. 
Yeah, I, I, I so enjoy it too, because it's, no matter what, it's therapeutic. That's, that's what it is to me. And it, yep. it's like, gives you legitimate joy. Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't even matter to me if anything ever gets published, you know, obviously aside from my journalism, because I'm just, it's, it's for the fun of it, really. Yeah, yeah. To be able to create worlds and characters and arcs, it's just, yeah. It I, really is a total, total escape, right? Yeah, total, total escape. escape. I know. So would you, so you, would you, I mean, I figure you could probably submit it to like your agent who can get it to a liter literary agent, right? Um, right? But would you do the self-publishing, which I heard is, you know, you get- What have you heard about more, that? I think you get a little bit more of like the percentage of sales um as as opposed to going through like a literary agent or a pu right. publishing house right so yeah i know the benefits there's there's pros and cons of either but who knows yeah um, and, and i know there's never money in a book but it's just for me it's just i don't know there's something about there's something about that feeling yeah i wrote this book i you know what i think it's from yeah. my english teacher in grade uh eight or nine, uh, Mrs. Ingram. And I would write, always had a good imagination, right? So I would write these essays and I'd get them back and it'd be like an F. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, wow, what's going on here? And it's like, grammatically, I was a mess. Like, grammatically, I just do, I don't know how to write the fundamental sentence because I would rewrite it again and then I'd look and, and she gave me an E. And then I rewrote it again. I remember this and I got a D minus. And so I asked her, I said, okay, okay, let's just cut to the chase. What's a pass? And mm -hmm. she goes, well, a D minus is 50. I said, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm not reading it. And I, and I always, you know, a stupid kid, I always thought I was so smart, right? And I wasn't, I never learned the proper grammar. So that's what I've had to teach myself. You know, they always say that 10,000. So that, you know, scripts are different. Scripts, people don't, you know, uh, right? You know, people talk differently with nuances and totally things like different that. language, yeah. Exactly. So that's why I can get away with writing scripts, but writing a book, that was different. So I said, well, I'm going to have my style and my style is going to be very conversationally and it's going to be like a nice, pleasant read because always, everyone's always said, oh, it's an easy read. It's an easy read. So that's my, that's the way my grammar is. But, and I, and I believe the story is quite imaginative, but I do it maybe out of thinking back to Mrs. Ingram and wanting to, you know, I'll send her a copy. Hey, look at this. This the F boy made this, wrote this. Hopefully she's still alive. And did you have to do a lot of um, historical research for that one? Tons, tons. Yeah. But, but I'm a huge fan of World War II stuff. There you go. Yeah. And so I, I've, got, I've got all these books, all these books of, of and they, they're pretty fantastic. The life collection of World War II with photos is uh, amazing. And they've also got ones which is a day-to-day -day breakdown of what happened in the war. Wow. And that's where I was able to hook up why Hitler, what, you know, because suddenly Hitler stopped like about two days shy of, of conquering Britain. He stopped. And nobody to this day knows why. They don't know why he stopped, why he pulled back. Yeah. And so my thing in this book was that, you know, his intent with the expedition up Everest was to set up a, a, a satellite dish on the top of Mount Everest that would piggyback all the allies communications wow. and all, all the enemies communications so that he could be there before they were, or he could plan accordingly and thusly conquer the world. 
and he set up this he set up this little uh, expedition of misfits. He he you know he um, catered to this one British uh, climber who was the greatest of his lifetime, but he never got to the top of Everest, and it always hurt his ego. So they went to him, but he's far past his prime. But they went to him and say, "Would you lead us?" Then they got a couple of other people who were kind of put in place, and then they put one spy on board who was once they got to the top, he was going to kill them all, set up the satellite, and it would work. But but the old guy who they all thought was never going to make it, who was well past his prime, he and this other guy who was this young Canadian guy afraid of heights, and I pictured myself in that, who go. took the job because he was a photographer, right? And we wanted to make his career photographing the great Sir Walter Wingham making it to Everest. Um, those are the two guys who survive it to stop the satellite being put up. And so that's why Hitler never finished conquering Britain. And that otherwise he would have won the war most likely, you know, wow. he, almost, he almost had Europe. So, yeah. So, sorry, long answer to your question. Yeah. I did a ton of research on that and Everest. In fact, this is a book I brought up for my granddaughter to look at because it's got great pictures. Everest, Wow. you know, so I got a bunch of books on Everest and then I just met this, uh, that in World War II, and then people keep popping back into keep popping into my life of late. And yeah. one of them was this this uh, nutritionist guy I know, and he's a he's a doctor, and he, uh, he I had an Everest jacket on, and he said, "Oh, have you been?" Because people used to ask me that. It's got all the different routes that you can get. Like there's four different routes to the top on it. it says Everest, and then there's a thing on the back Everest, and people go, "Oh, have you been?" And so you know, cool. I remember one day I was with my wife, and we were walking and with Claire and yeah. uh, somebody said, oh, have you been to offer, uh, been to Everest? And I paused and I went, yeah, twice. <laughs> <laughs> because it was, I feel so bad saying, no, no, it's just a jacket. Yeah. I love, right? Then you have to go through the whole, yeah. yeah. So it's just, yes, I couldn't believe it. Even to Everest, yes, twice. Now I could never get past the ice falls on, on at ground level of base camp. I could never get past that. But, but anyway, my nutritionist saw my jacket and yeah. he said, been to Everest and I went no no I haven't been ever he says oh I have and it was like oh, what? Shit. no and it was like, you have and he said yes I said did you summit he goes yes and I went oh my god this is amazing wow. and so I proceeded to tell him about the book right you and so he was saying, oh, that's sound, yeah he said that sounds good that sounds good so he said I'll send you a picture so he sent me a picture of him on the summit and, and, and I said, you know, I'm going to use this. And he goes, why? Because I said, you've got your helmet and your visor on, which is completely like metallic and a mirror, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, you can, I can't see your face, but I can see the reflections of a few other people just getting to the summit in front of you. And I said, I'm going to say that's me. I'm just going to say that's me. But he's a, he's, he's a very cool guy. But, you know, he said it was a very spiritual moment getting up. It was, he said it was everything you dreamed of. And he said, but then on the way back, we were... 12 hours on the way back and they had to stop and they had to rescue somebody who ended up dying. Oh and, my God. Yeah. And it, he said it, it, it put them into real danger as far as that, uh, I forget the zone they call it. Um, when you're, when you stay too long, you know, and because they, because. Uh, hypothermia because or. Say that again. Hypothermia. It is hypo. It's tied in with that, but your mind goes oh. too, right? Oh yeah. The, yeah. Your mind starts to. You basically so you lose, you yeah. lose, yeah, you lose like, like you can't, your brain can't connect to your right knee or your left knee and you can't lift and you can't, and you slowly, you know, you go to sleep pretty much yeah. is what happens. Yeah. And of course, all the cadavers you leave up there, 
And so he said what was weird was that we didn't make it and then we literally leave him. But that's the rule, right? And, oh, and, and he said we were really almost left it too late that we would have died up there too. So, uh, so anyway, it was funny that you asked that question of something you wanted to do because it rekindled the whole thing with me with this book. It's like, because who knows, it could be a movie someday or whatever, but that's kind of a little dream project in my head. Ah, that's 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 so cool I, that and that would be a great like book to adapt into a movie or a tv series or whatever right right i always thought if it could be, yeah yeah if it couldn't be if it couldn't be a movie it could be a limited series which people love now you know yes so start finish yeah so no. but it's nice to hear you're interested historically in things like that too because i had somebody once an agent tell me once it's like oh nobody cares about world war ii and I said, I don't know, this was a few years ago. Uh, and I said, have you ever walked in a bookstore? Just take a bookstore, for example. Yeah. There's a whole section dedicated you know, right. to World War II still. Because in a weird way, it was a romantic war. And I, I don't lose that, use that term loosely. But the reason it was romantic was because there was a bad guy. And yes. we knew who the bad guy was, right? Yeah. It's not like that anymore. The no. bad guy is a, is a, a, a montage of, of characters. So, yeah. right, you can't just point a finger and say him. And that's why it's different, um, you know, with, but, uh, but yeah, so, but, so it's nice to hear you because I believe that young people are too because of the heroics of it, because of the, what they did and what they faced was yeah. great, you know, and it was less covert. It was more in your face. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's like you you mentioned a bookstore if you go on your tv too and you type in world war ii movies or you know if you have a i think most remotes you can speak into just say bring me a, a world war ii genre it's like there are a lot of movies and tv shows still that yeah. come out about world yeah. war ii because of the fact that there's an audience so yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't think there will ever not be an, an audience for it, for, for that reason. Um, the romanticization of it, like you're saying. Um, and also, you know, we won. So that right. was great. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it really was, it really was the whole world against, you know. Oh, him. Yes. Yeah. Just it, this insane person uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's so funny too you know it, you, it, I, whenever I'm on the, the beach and and we don't get them all the time but you get these great clouds right mm -hmm. some days form in the sky and I'll some days I'll look out at them and I'll just go in an instant I'll go oh wow that's like the South Pacific and whenever I think of the South Pacific you know you I, I think of the war I just you know even even yeah. like uh you know Pearl Harbor and things like that it was just those kind of clouds in yeah. the sky. or imagine being sent off to the south pacific to fight and i know yeah 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 i yeah. i am i am thankful there's not a, a, a draft but yeah, i have so right. much respect for people who volunteer that's i uh, know i know i don't know how they do it i don't know how you keep do you die today am i gonna die today I is know. this the last time i'm gonna wake up in a bed in a cot wherever you know, or also too, I, I think all the time about how many times they had to fight and do these things. And they're either really hungry just because they haven't eaten in days or yeah. they've eaten so little or you're in pain, right? Right. I mean, oh man. And, and also too, I think because I was 
I mean, gratefully, but I was only brought up with the movies with it. But it's like, I always figure it's like, oh, it's just one battle, right? It's the Battle of Bulge, and then we get to go home, right? So we we take that hill and we did it. So we got it, right, Sergeant? So we're now we're done. Now we can go home. And it's like, no, you've got to go again. We're going to find another battle and we're going to do it again. And it's like, that would drive me insane as well. I'd be nervous. I'd be crazy. Oh, me, me too. Yeah. And the anticipation of a, a, a draft, it's like, am I going to get called? And just, you have no choice and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I interviewed um, this person named Hannah Bowman, the last sort of train of thought here, but I got to speak with her about that stuff. You know, she, vol- she volunteered with the um, Kurdish uh, Women's Protection Units, which is the YPJ, kind of like a spinoff of the YPG. And, wow. and so she fought in Syria on the ground to, you know, to help refugees. And, 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 and so every day she's talking about how, you know, she would see her unit members uh, die and she would talk about the smell of like burning skin and that constant fear and actually what it, you know, killing people and then having to sleep the very night yeah. of and it got pretty serious obviously i mean this yeah. is a very sobering sort of topic but it's just like it, you know you hear firsthand accounts of that and it, and it really reminds you how brutal war is and how much of, a, of an effect it, it has on not just the people in it but just like generations afterwards yeah yeah uh, yeah so, like I can't, I can't imagine what it's like taking aim at somebody who can't see you, right? Right. And they're doing whatever they're doing, whether they're running from that place to this place or whatever, but you're going to end their life, right? And, and tell me that the karma doesn't go, well, I'm going to die soon because I just took somebody's life. And, and it's not even like, it's not even like it's hand-to-hand combat's one thing, but when they're over there, like, it's just like, it boggles my mind what that must, must you want to say, I got to shoot you you just so you know it's going to happen i got to shoot you but obviously you don't do things like that but you just shoot and you see that person fall and it's like oh my god i just ended that person's life that person's dead because of me you know oh and you know what's weird too is like the civil war i have accidentally because there's been a few, few projects i've worked on in the past that involved the civil war. So we had to do research for it. And oh man, I have not enjoyed that at all. Ooh, uh, yeah. Remember how, remember in a weird way with total respect that I said like World War II is like romantic in a way. Yeah. The civil wars were like just horrific and there's nothing. First of all, you're fighting each other, which is the yeah. saddest part, right? Right. And then the fact of how they fought these wars, like you literally line up in a line. So and, bloody, you yeah. know. And, and, you know, they would tell us that the, the fields at night after a confrontation. Yeah. The, you, all you'd hear is the moaning and the wailing of the guys who were hurt, who didn't die, right? But they were injured, you know, and obviously badly and stuff. And then they said, they would talk about, look at all the topics we've gone on in our speech, in our conversation here. But they would talk about like the wild boars coming out and eating these guys alive and the screaming and the yelling you'd hear. I mean we did that to ourselves i can't yeah i can't believe that if if the if world war ii was uh you know we romanticized that then i think the civil war would be like the dark ages 
Right, right. And, and like, you know, who, who, I think it was Stonewall Jackson who said, don't stop shooting until you see the whites of their eyes. Yeah. I think that was a quote from him. But I mean, it's like, uh, that's, you're, you're so right. It was like, you're just going to charge and shoot and hope you don't get yeah. uh, shot. And, uh, right. And, and you know that while you're aiming at those guys across the line, somebody's aiming at you. And then you got bayonets, so you got stat. You know, you're just yeah, and, and yeah, and you're saying like they were so goddamn bloody, like Antietam, um, and what was the other really, really uh, Bunker Hill and Antietam. I mean, those were some of the yeah. most bloodiest battles like ever in any war. So yeah, yeah. But you and then you look at uh, battles like Braveheart, right? Like I love Braveheart. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great film, great story, the whole thing. And but you look at that, you know, those guys charging, running against the other guys with the, on the horses, and you just like, kind of collide. And and imagine the fighting 360. Like I'm I'm fighting here, but is somebody gonna knife me in the back, right? Right. You have to have some like you know, sixth sense almost. Like yeah. it's just like you feel it. But yeah, I I would be the same way. It's it's like <laughs> I could not fight 360. Nope. No, and I and I just have a feeling it's terrible to say, but I have a feeling in in some of those battles, I might have run for the woods. <laughs> You're not going to see. Yeah, not hey. going to see me anymore. Could have been me too. Yeah, I'll see. Hey, we'll meet at uh, such and such after this battle. Okay, I'll see yeah. you guys later. Yeah, because yeah, I can't. I just can't do this. I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. the same way. Well. <laughs> Uh, Don, thank you so much for speaking with me. This is uh, yeah, it's been a gr uh, really great conversation that I enjoyed, and your answer is uh, obviously so generous. And well, uh, well, my pleasure. It's always great to chat with you, Alex. And yeah. I wish you I wish you the best of luck with everything. I know you'll Likewise. do well. I know you'll do well, and good luck with the marathons. Thank uh, you fantastic. so much, and and You're good back. luck with your book. Uh, yeah, I, you, got, you got me excited about it. So uh, good to hear. Good yeah, to hear. Amazing. All right, Alex, you be well. Uh, you, you as well. Take care, Don. You Bye. too. Bye. And that's a wrap on this episode of Shattering Superstructure with Don Lake. I appreciate you tuning in again and keep an eye out for the next episode. Thanks, listeners. This is Alex signing off. Mm -hmm.